All right. Well, good to see you this evening. I'm glad you're here for our midweek study with your umbrella. Did you bring your umbrella? Yes. It's always nice to have uh, the rain. I love, I love the rain. And I love the weather. It's really nice. Let's open our Bibles to uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11, and you can lower this a little bit, bro. Thanks. Um, chapter 11 is where we find ourselves. A really interesting uh, section here as we work our way through the book of Numbers, where we've been studying the Old Testament for quite a while on uh, Wednesday night for several years, and we continue to work our way through these Old Testament books, and we're here in Numbers, and uh, we've just started the journey. If you recall, back in chapter 10, the children of Israel, after one year's period of time, uh, they've been at the foot of Mount Sinai, where Moses has gone multiple times up and down the mountain, getting instructions from God for his people, the Ten Commandments, obviously, and then all the instructions to build the tabernacle. Number, God's numbered the people. He's separated the tribes. God has organized the people into a fighting army of over 600,000. Uh, last week in chapter uh, 10, we saw this final uh, work that God did with the trumpets. Remember, da, 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 those two silver trumpets. And those trumpets were specifically to call the people to battle, call them to worship. Uh, it was an, they were a, a certain uh, blast on the trumpet that would call the people into an emergency. So now they're finally ready to go, and they begin their march. And that's where we're at this uh, week. I've got a map that I want to show you real quick. Um, this is a map. You can find a lot of different maps. You might even have one in your Bible. Um, but we, we know that the, the uh, children of Israel were in the Nile River Valley, very fertile, lots of water. Uh, they had herds. They were herdsmen. Uh, they grew crops, as we'll find out tonight, because they're missing some of their vegetables in their diet. But they've gone uh, from Pharaoh in this area of Goshen. They've moved all the way through the desert, they went across the, the Red Sea here, this little area, the Red Sea. There's some believe that Mount uh, Horeb or Mount uh, Sinai is in the peninsula here, but I believe it was over in Midian, and so that's why I picked this map. They went across the Red Sea, Mara, as you remember, they were here in this area of Midian, and that's why last week, or a couple of weeks ago, we found uh, Jethro, we, uh, the family of, of Moses, and they were invited to come along. But anyway, I believe they're in Midian. And there's, there's honest debate, an archaeological debate about that, but that's kind of what I believe. And then you can see how they went up. They started their journey. Their journey was going to take them from basically Mount Sinai, just a few days' journey up to Canaan. But it took them 40 years. It should have taken a week or so, but it took them 40 years. Why? Well, the main reason is because of a disease they had. It's a disease that you have and I have. It's the disease of grumbling, of complaining, of murmuring. It's a disease that, that is part of the human condition. In fact, it's much easier to be negative and to murmur and to complain than it is to be positive. Wouldn't you agree? Well, that's what was wrong with these people. They were only in the wilderness. <laughs> they left in chapter 10. We pick up the action three days later. 
and they're crying and, oh, we're going to die. We don't have enough food. And, oh, they just go on and on and on, murmuring, complaining. This group of people that has been miraculously organized by God in all these different ways, militarily and, and even in, in their own tribes so that they can mobilize and move the tent of meeting and, and move the tabernacle through the desert, the movable sanctuary. They've been totally organized by the Lord, the pillar of fire. They have the presence of God, the cloud by day. And yet they start murmuring three days in to their journey. They're not a food. They want more than manna. They complain about everything, even their blessings. Spurgeon said this, and I'd like to begin the study this way. Spurgeon said, the gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents. I love that. The gift of grumbling. That's why I've titled this chapter, Complaints and Cravings, and you'll see why. Let's ask God's blessing as we go to him in prayer. Father, we come before you this evening with our Bibles open with our hearts and mind ready to hear. And Lord, how I know that I succumb to this disease in my own soul, murmuring, complaining. And Father, teach me, teach us tonight about how important it is for us to walk by faith and trust you even through trials and hardships. God, teach me, help me, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, again, remember this chapter opens after three days in the wilderness. I call it the gift of grumbling here for verses one through three, but I'm going to read down through verse six. Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our whole being, oh, woe is us, is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. It reminds me of my teenage boys going to the refrigerator where that's full of food. We just went to Stater's and they open up and say, there's nothing, mom, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> these, these guys are complaining. Now, again, I I've subtitled these first couple of verses, and I want to spend a little time here because it helps us to understand. Notice they're complaining in verse 1, displeased the Lord because God heard it, and his anger was aroused. They didn't arouse God's passion to love them more because they were blessing his name and worshiping him. He was aroused to anger because they were complaining, and they were complaining to Moses, and they were complaining against the Lord. So the Lord's anger is aroused here. Their, their ingratitude is off the scale. Remember, there's two and a half million people. So even if half of them were complaining, that's a lot of complaints, a million complaints. And, and the Lord's fire, again, was burning among them and consumed, notice this, 
consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Now, you have to kind of keep in mind what went on on the mountain for the year prior to their moving. God manifested himself in the fire, right? They saw like a volcano erupting, smoke and fire coming from the top of the mountain. And the people at the bottom were afraid. They were afraid. The, 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 the earth shook. They saw fire. They were afraid. God was manifesting himself. Actually, they weren't allowed to come on the mountain for fear of death, but, but also the fire. And so now there's fire, right, as they begin their journey, but it's the passion of the Lord that burned among them and consumed, it says consumed some of them in the outskirts of the camp. So we can only assume that, that, that it was some people possibly, maybe tents were on fire, the, the brush all around them was on fire on the outskirts of the camp because they are, had aroused the, the anger of the Lord. The fire of the Lord is made manifest now in, in his anger in the outskirts of the camp, maybe the shrubbery, maybe the tents, whatever it is. But whether it's the people or just the tents, we're not really sure. But, but it happened when they began to cry out. And they're crying out to Moses, verse 2, it says, and Moses prayed to the Lord. And when Moses prayed, because Moses is the great mediator, he's a, he's a, a, a picture, a symbol, a type of Jesus Christ as a mediator. All through the Old Testament, Moses becomes the mediator or the, the uh, type of Jesus Christ. And he's praying now to God for these people. They're complaining. And he's the one that goes and prays to the Lord and the fire was quenched. So he intercedes for the people there. Verse three, so he called the name of the place burning or Terabah, which means burning there because the fire of the Lord had burnt among them. Again, it just is a reminder of the God's judgment. Here's God's judgment on these people. Now, they've grown a lot. They were, they were uh, for 400 years, under the bondage. They were slaves. They, they had seen and probably participated in idol worship in Egypt, off the scale. Remember, the 10 plagues, when you study them, if you want to go back and study them in the book of Exodus, every one of the plagues was against one of the gods of Egypt. The, the Egyptians were idolaters, man. They, they worshiped everything, sun, moon, stars, animals, locusts. Remember, the different uh, plagues were against the different gods of Egypt. So these people, um, they're now being judged because they're growing in the Lord. They, they've got a little more trust in the Lord. They, they built the tabernacle. They're, they're doing well, but they still have a long way to go. So God is growing them and establishing them and helping them to mature and as I read that and think about that, I, I think about how long it's taken me to mature and how far I need to go. As a believer, you should be growing, growing every day, every year. Every year should be sweeter than the year before. You should have more faith. You should know more about the Bible. You should have more Bible verses memorized. You should, you should trust the Lord more and more as you grow in the Lord. And God is going to grow these people. That's what he's been doing in their lives. He's growing them and they fail the test here, so he judges them because of their complaints, because of their murmuring and their complaining hearts. Again, at the end of chapter 10, we see this prayer. You can look at it there. It's just the last two verses of chapter 10 where, where there's this prayer. God gives this prayer to Moses, and before they start the journey, there's a prayer. When they end the journey for the day or the, the period of time, three days or however long their march would be, they, 
Moses ends the prayer, return to your tabernacle, O God, and protect the camp. So you have this prayer of Moses there at the end of chapter 10. And then here in chapter 11, even though the people have the cloud of fire, they have this great uh, cloud to protect them in the daytime and the fire to lead them at night and protect them at night, they're already complaining they just forget it all in just a few days. So they've got a long way to go in their growth and their walk of faith. These Israelites really sound like a bunch of kids in the back of your car. I, had, I have five children, and we took some family vacations. You know, you get in the car with some kids. We're on our way to, to uh, uh, we went to Bryce. We went to Zion with the kids camping. We're, up, we're on our way to Utah. We're not even through the Cone Pass, and what are the kids saying in the back? Dad, Dad, are we there yet? You know, when can we get, get out? We have to go to the bathroom, whatever. Five kids in the car. It was, it was always good, though. Great memories, wonderful time. But, but these people are complaining. They've only been on the journey three days, and they're, they're complaining about everything. My feet hurt. Jeremiah hit me, whatever it might be. They're, they're complaining. They're murmuring about, about being in the desert there. They're complaining about everything. Like I said earlier, it's, it's a disease with us. It's part of the human condition to complain and murmur. And it's interesting here because while we might say, you know, how could they turn so quickly on God and his providence and his care? He's already shown them. He's been with them for a year. But we do it all the time. God provides our needs and we do it all the time. Something happens, and we instantly forget God's providence and his care and his sovereignty. We, we do it all the time. As I studied these passages, boy, was I, my mouth was stopped over and over. I thought, what a bunch of jerks. And I thought, oh, Lord, I've done that. Remember last week how I entered the Bible study talking about how these were promised land people and that you and I are promised land people we're promised our voyage or our journey, our march in this world as soldiers of Christ is to the promised land. Where is it? Where is it? Heaven. Heaven. This journey they were on represents the same thing. God is leading them to his promised land, and, and it's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's got all the delights and everything that they would need. Again, a representation of our journey as we're on the way to heaven, how much we need to understand that during our march, during our lifetime, we're not to complain. We're to trust in the Lord with all that's within us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great verse. We're to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're not to lean on our understanding. We're not, trying to, we're not supposed to try to figure it out, which is what we want to do. That's the problem. We want to know why. Why, God? We want to try to figure out our financial problem, our marriage issue, our, our relationship issues. We try to figure it out. Instead of trusting, just taking our hands up and say, Lord, I, I don't get it, but I love you. And whatever you choose for me, I'm going to go through it and keep my chin up and keep my eyes on you. And that's really what these people are learning. They haven't learned it yet. It's something that we are, are learning as well, Paul told the Philippian believers in Philippians 2, he said, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Wait, let's, let's, let's look at that again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, don't raise your hand, but do you do that? 
Boy, it's hard, isn't it? And then he goes on to say, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. See, God has a purpose for your struggle. He wants you to be a light and a beacon while you're going through your difficulty and trial. He wants you to be a light for his glory. You have cancer, but everybody around you says, look at their faith. You don't have enough money to make your payment, but you're trusting the Lord. And everybody says, I can't believe this. Look at the faith that person has. You're a light to the world around you. That's what God wants to produce in all of us. So do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach. Now, going back to chapter 11 here, verses 4 through 9. The people are complaining. Two major things here. Number one, they complained about their menu. The mixed multitude, verse 4, who were among them, yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again. Who will give us meat to eat? Again, the mixed multitude there is a reference to some of the Egyptians that had come with them out of Egypt Some of the Midianites, remember they were in the land of Midian, that's where Moses' wife was from and the family, and we got in chapter 11, he he wants them to come along with him, remember? So there's, there's a whole contingency of people, not just the Israelites, it's primarily them, but there's these other people, the mixed multitude there. And notice they're all complaining, not just some of them, but all of them, and the intense craving in King James, which is the version that I use, says, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving, or tava, which means an intense lusting. It's lusting after sin. It's the same word, tava, that's used in Genesis 3, verse 6. You know the account here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was also to be tava, desired, she lusted after it. To make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And you know what happened. She went home to Adam and he ate. They both fell into sin because of their disobedience to God. But this word, tava here, that's described in, in Numbers chapter 11, same word. They were lusting. It was a strong lust. We, I mean, we, we can't go on. We can't live without it. We, we have to have it. That's really what's happening here. Intense craving. Strong desire more than what God had given them. Again, do you see yourself in the scripture? Listen, the Bible is for us so that we'll learn and be better brothers and sisters, so we'll be better sons and daughters of God. You gotta see yourself in it. That's what makes the Bible come alive. You see yourself and you see your your inadequacies, you see your sin and you ask God forgiveness and help you to grow. And we learn and grow based on God's word and these other experiences that we read about in the scriptures. These people demanded for meat. So much so, it says they wept. Baka is the Hebrew word. They were crying. It means to grieve and wail. Oh, I don't have any food. That's why I did that at the beginning. It's like, oh, they were weeping. That's what the scripture describes. They're wailing. We, we're just, we're doomed. <laughs> we don't have any food like a teenager at the refrigerator door. I love that picture. Their complaint was there just wasn't enough variety. It was manna 
That's all they had. Verse 7, now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of Bedlam. The people went about and gathered it. And then they ground it on millstones or they beat it in the mortar or they cooked it in pans or they made cakes out of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna fell on top of it. It was daily provision from God, and it was good. It was delicious. Every day, manna breakfast, manna lunch, manna dinner. Everything that they had was manna. Jay Vernon McGee in his commentary, I love to listen to Jay on my drive to work on Wednesday mornings. Esther and I listened to him today. <laughs> and he said, he said, well, my friends... Moses' wife, she had a cookbook with a thousand ways to make manna. <laughs> you, can just, you can just imagine that. But it didn't matter how creative you were. And, and Moses gives these four examples of how they would prepare manna in all these different ways. It, it really didn't matter. To them, it was just manna. Manna bread, manna cakes, manna loaf, manna soup, whatever they made. Maybe manna flakes for breakfast, manna chips, you know, for a little snack. The people were sick of it. And they started to remember the good old days when they lived in the Nile River Valley where there was lots of water and lots of fish, lots of meat. They ate lots and lots of fish. That was their diet, plus their animals. They were herdsmen, so they, were, they, they ate all this. Now they're in the desert. They're vegans. They can't stand it. That I can understand. And the, all they have is manna to eat. Again, we remember the fish, verse 5, we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing in the fridge, Mom. Love that. Truth is, if you just take a moment right now and go into memory lane and remember who you were in high school, the haircut, clothes, the way you felt inadequate, and, and, and you, uh, you didn't want the teacher even to mention your name. My first name is Donald, and I was known that way. In fact, every once in a while, somebody walks in the church and says, hi, Donald, and I'll go, hi, because I went by Donald, because I, that's what's on your register, you know, when you go to school, and the first day of school, they name your name, your name, your first name, and I was never brave enough to say, uh, teacher, could you call me Lee? So I just went by Donald. And then all the ducks and all the things were added to your name, like they do, you know, in high school. But we remember, remember being in high school and feeling so inadequate. I just know that these people now are thinking about all the things they had in the good old days. But when I remember the good old days, they weren't all that good. I mean, there were some good things there. I didn't have to work for a living because my, my dad did, but that was the only good thing. I didn't have freedoms like I have now. And so these people are remembering the good old days, and they start complaining. Complaining is really a lack of appreciation for God and his providence and God and his provision for you. When you start complaining, you're complaining against God. You need to be very careful about that. Complaining is, it really shows a lack of faith in God to provide. 
This is where God's been working in my life. I'll be perfectly honest. There's some things and issues that I'm just, and I struggle with them, and I complain about them, and I can't do anything about it. It's a mountain. Remember, we learned about that in Mark. Jesus said, just speak to that mountain, and you can move it. Meaning, he didn't really mean a real mountain, but the mountain, the obstacle in your life. And, and if you're walking by faith and trusting in God, God will move the mountain in his time for your, his glory and for your good. But complaining, it's a lack of faith. Complaining focuses ourselves on the problems rather than God's solution. Hebrews 12, I, I've been reading that every day. Every day, every morning I'm, I'm reading this chapter. And God's using it in my life. But notice here in verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. God has training. Some of the things in our life when God says no, or God allows the pain in some way, physical, financial, marital, relational, that pain is, is a, has a purpose behind it. God has a plan. Not in every situation, but God can use pain to train those he loves. These people, in Numbers chapter 11, their menu was boring, so they were complaining. They didn't have any meat. It was manna, manna, manna. That's all they had. And so they started complaining again to the Lord. And they brought their complaints to Moses. And here's the second thing that we see in this section. It's Moses begins to complain. Look at verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. Again, the people came right to the door of Moses' tent. They didn't complain from afar. They knew who the boss was. They came right to his tent, and they started to complain to him. And he almost seems caught off guard here for just a moment when you read this. It seems like he's surprised. But then he joins in with a whining. That's what happens. It says in verse 11, So Moses said, Lord, why? Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all these people on me? Why, Lord? I mean, think about that question. Why did you give me this wife or husband? Why did you give me this job, O oh Lord? Why do I have this financial difficulty? Why, why, why? You're complaining. Moses is obviously complaining here. Whenever we're in a trial, we ask those questions. And Moses basically is saying, Lord, I'm serving you. I, I've been to church twice this week and I, I, I've gone every Sunday this month. Lord, I, I've read the Bible. I've, I've tithed of, of my income. Lord, why? Why is this happening? Now, when we read the story, we've discovered that God is not punishing Moses. In the, he's not doing this. This all comes from these people. God isn't doing anything. God's mad at the people for their unfaithfulness and their grumbling and their murmuring. That's why his anger is aroused. We've seen that twice so far in this text. But God does allow the complaints to get to Moses, his servant. For the same reason he allows trials into our lives, to, to get us to overcome, to get us to trust him. Moses is the leader. 
And now it's time for Moses to lead in this area, and he's failing. Because, I, I mean, I feel sorry for Moses. Two million people complaining? Brother, you know, my family is only a few people. Well, we complain about each other sometimes. You, you know that. Our church is not that big. I, I thank God we don't have complainers. I really, we don't, you guys don't complain. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I don't hear a lot of complaints. Just don't let that start tonight just because I said that, okay? <laughs> it's just hard to understand why when you're in a trial. And it's hard to trust the Lord when you're in that difficulty. Notice how Moses tells God that he's really had enough here. Verse 12, did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? Lord, I can't do this. For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, <laughs> kill me right here and now. I mean, this is Moses. I'm, I'm illustrating a little bit with my voice, but you can see what he's saying. Just kill me. If I found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. <laughs> I feel sorry for Moses as a leader. And I, I've been in his place, I, I, not, a, a, you know, not a lot, but I've been in his place where you just feel like, what a crummy job, you know, people complaining or this is going on and it's not going my way. And, and, and he's just, just kill me, Lord. I mean, I think we've all been there. He'd rather die than continue to deal with these people. Somebody said, I heard it from a finance guy today. I was, I was dealing with a financial issue church in the bank. I talked to the banker today, or uh, yesterday. <laughs> and he said to me, we were talking about some stuff, and he goes, he goes, Pastor, he goes, I don't think I'd want your job. And I said, why? And he goes, because you deal with people. <laughs> I said, Yeah. Yeah, that's what we do as pastors. We deal with people all the time, all day long, all the time. But uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the sheep in this fellowship. You guys are a blessing. But if you've ever felt like Moses, you're overworked, you're stressed out, you're, you've got trials, people are taking advantage of you, can't please anybody, I think we've all been there. And you go through this time of discouragement, and that's what Moses that's what was happening here with Moses. It happened with Moses. It happened with Elijah. When you read the Old Testament and you see the patriarchs, it happened to many of them. In Hebrews chapter 11, we get the great hall of faith where there's a list of, of these people, men and women, Rahab is included, the list of people that lived by faith and they went through the, the most horrendous difficulties and trials. That's why Hebrews 11 is such a, a blessing to read. But you get all these lists of people like Noah, who for 100 years, he's building the ark, and people around him are whining. And, what, look, at, look at Moses up there building the ark. Nah, nah, nah. You know, what a jerk. You know, what are you doing that for? There's no rain. What's rain? You know, 100 years of that. He took it year after year after year, all this mocking. But he saved his family by being obedient to God. Sarah is mentioned in Hebrews 11. She's mentioned because she bore a child at the age of 90. The Bible says, well beyond her age. 
<laughs> 90 years old. There's thousands of believers mentioned in this way. Notice this verse behind me. It's Hebrews 11. Still others had trial of mocking, scourging. Yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, tempted, slain with a sword, of whom the world was not worthy. I love that. The saint of God, the true believer, trusts in the Lord and goes through the fire if God leads them. And the world, they're not worthy of this world because they're worthy to God. God loves them dearly. And they're mentioned there in the great hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, God's going to answer Moses. Look at the answer here, verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers. How does Moses know? Because God told him, remember, God chose the elders. God appointed them. Moses didn't pick them out. God chose them. God, just like God numbered the army, God's numbered everything. He's organized the people. So he says, go get 70 of the elders and the officers over there and bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. I love that. Elders to stand with Moses. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and I will put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. So God calls this meeting of the 70, the Sanhedrin later on will be made up of 70. Sanhedrin means 70. And so there's these 70 elders from the people there that are going to come stand with Moses. And they're going to help Moses carry the spiritual load, the burden, the complaints. They're going to help him in that. They're going to be support for him in his leadership ministry there. I love that truth. And I believe that truth, Old and New Testament, that God has called men to lead in his church. Women have a great role. Women teach the word, but it's men that are to lead. Old Testament and men are to lead in the New Testament. Not PC. It's not what you would hear in a college or university. In fact, if you were a certain senator from California, you would laugh at that. But I say it's godly. Godly, God uses men. He chooses men. You read about it in Timothy and Titus and the New. You read about it here in the Old Testament. That God has chosen these men to stand up and support. Just like we have in our church. We have 10 elders. We have board members. They're men. And they stand along my side and they help me uh, making decisions and praying for me and you in the church. Godly men who love this fellowship and grateful for their their leadership and their joining me and leading this fellowship. But Moses, he, he can't do it alone. And, and so he goes to God and says, you might as well kill me, Lord. I can't do this. And God says, okay, well, I'm going to bring some people around you, these 70 elders and, and others, these leaders. This really reminds me, it's interesting. Moses is, the complaint is we don't have enough food. The complaint is we want meat and we just have manna. That's the complaint, right? There's not enough food for us. It's not good, healthy food. We want meat. 
It reminds me of Jesus feeding the 5,000, or really up to 20,000 people, 5,000 men in the New Testament, Matthew and Luke and Mark, where Jesus makes food. I love this. Jesus, uh, it's really late. You've been teaching all day, and, and it's getting dark, and the people don't have anything to eat. I'm afraid they're going to be stumbling on their way home, or they'll be hungry overnight. And they, You need to dismiss them and tell them to go. And Jesus looks at his men. Remember, I don't know if he smiled. I think he did. He said, you guys feed them. And they were like, we can't feed them. We don't even have any food ourselves. And so Andrew goes out and he finds this little boy and he borrows his lunch, remember? Some, some loaves and fish and brings them back. And it's like, it's all we got. There's 20,000 people and all I have are just this, all we have is just this little bit of food. Jesus takes it, remember, and he blesses it. And he begins to just break it and put it in the baskets. And the guys go out and everyone's been organized and they take their basket and run out and feed a few people, bring their basket back. And the Lord's just breaking food in these baskets. He's creating food. It's, it's an incredible miracle. And at the end of it, they bring back baskets full of the remnants. That's how much food God creates. It's a beautiful uh, illustration of how God meets this great need of the people here in Numbers 11, Moses knows it's impossible to feed these people. I can't do this on my own. But he's forgotten. He's complaining. Just kill me, Lord. He's forgotten the faithfulness of God. He's forgotten the power of God. And I think, again, in making application to you and I, I think sometimes we forget the power of God. The mountain becomes too big. The financial burden becomes too great. The relational problem becomes insurmountable and we forget the grace or the, the power and the greatness of God. We just need to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We need to put our faith back in God instead of ourself and our own way to try to work it out financially or, or however. So it's interesting here, God promises now to provide, verse 18. You shall say to the people, Moses... You got this group of elders, I've, I've put them around to support you and encourage you. So now, say to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. You shall eat meat. Go tell them that. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. See, God is saying, this is what you just told me. Didn't have enough food to eat, because it was better in Egypt. Okay? You want meat? Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. Verse 19, you shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five, nor ten, nor twenty, but for the whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? Just a reminder here, by the way, be careful what you ask the Lord for. <laughs> Because he might just give it to you. Be careful what you ask the Lord for. These people were complaining and, and they're whining and they're grumbling about the meat. They didn't have enough to eat. And now they're going to get plenty of it. Verse 21, and Moses said, the people who I am among are 600,000 men on foot. He's talking about the soldiers. Yet you've said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall 
This is Moses. He's still not on the same wavelength with God and his divinity here, his, his ability. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Moses says, you, you can't even do that, Lord. There's not enough fish in the sea to feed all these people. Verse 23, and the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. I love that. I love God's response. Am I not strong or powerful enough in your mind, Moses? Or, or even better tonight, do I not have the power to meet your marital need, to meet your financial need, to meet your relational need? Do I not have the power to do that? Oh, ye of little faith. Listen, Christian, this, this should be an encouragement to you. God can do it or you can't. God can make a way when you can't make a way. And he'll do it over and over and over again. It takes faith. It takes believing in a powerful God. Seeing God with all authority and power. Seeing Jesus feeding 5,000. Keep that in your mind. God did it with, he can do it. He did it with them and it was a miracle. He can do it in my situation as well. God proves again, just as he created the world from nothing, ex nihilo, from nothing. He made matter from nothing. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, Pastor Lee, I, I'm a scientist and I just don't believe that. Well, you don't believe in an all-powerful sovereign God. That's your problem. I believe God can make anything out of nothing. And he did. He made the world. And the same God that made everything out of nothing can deal with your issues. He can help you with your Unless you just murmur and complain and whine and I want this, Lord, and you won't give it to me. And you, then you're, you obscure God and his provision in your life when you do that. That's what Moses did. That's what the people did. But I love this. I wish I could spend more time on this, but look at verse 24, because God's going to prepare the elders. I love this. So Moses went out, and he told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people, and he placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in a cloud. Now, God's done this, right? So they've moved. They've complained. This is three days later. They, they've crashed Moses' pad, his tent. They, they threw whatever rocks at him to get his attention. You know, we're going to die out here, Moses, and it's your fault. We want to go back to Egypt. And Moses complains to God in a prayer. God stopped the fire around the camp. And, and now God's promised, Moses, you go out and tell him I'm going to feed him. And they're going to have so much meat, it's going to come out of their nose. Uh, it's, it's incredible. So God comes down in a cloud he spoke to them, and notice, and he took of the spirit that was upon Moses, and he placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did, it, did so again. So this one time where the spirit that was leading Moses, that gave him the, the ability to climb the mountain, the boldness to go before the Lord, the burning bush, the fiery mountain, the shaking mountain. 
It gave him the courage to do that. Now that same spirit has been given to these leaders to help Moses. And they begin to prophesy, speaking the words of the Lord there. Again, I, I love how this happened because it, it reminds me that when things in our lives are too hard and we can't do it, we need the Holy Spirit. And God has given you the Holy Spirit. You know that as a New Testament believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And you have as much of the Holy Spirit as you'll ever get. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit, by the way. You yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit, but you have as much of God's Holy Spirit when you were regenerated, when you were born again, when you were taken out of sin and placed in Christ. All these things happen when you were born again. You have everything that you need. You're fully equipped. Read Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. You're fully rigged. You're fully equipped. You have everything you need. The problem is you just don't appropriate it. It's like prayer, like faith. And in this case, the Holy Spirit that came and gave them this power to to believe and to do and accomplish God's purpose. We can only do God's work God's way, and we can only do it successfully with the Holy Spirit. You and I need to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit more and more, wouldn't you agree? And the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. That's, that's just one channel on TV. And it's really one viewpoint. It's, it's odd. It's weird. Christians are weird. I watch that and go, God, that's weird. I mean, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've seen a lot of weird things. And I've been touched by the Holy Spirit, and I've been led by the Holy Spirit, and I believe even now the Holy Spirit's filling me to share his word. But it doesn't make you weird or drunk or stupid or fall down. It makes you stand up before the Lord and, and trust in his word and walk before him in honesty and integrity. That's what the Holy Spirit does to people that yield themselves to him. And that's what happens here. That verse in Zechariah came to my mind today, and I have it here for you behind me on the screen. Not by might nor by power, but my, my spirit, saith the Lord. We need to trust the Holy Spirit to do that work that we cannot do. We need to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit to accomplish those things that God wants to do in our lives, to, to, to get beyond that difficulty in marriage and finances or whatever. I don't know why I keep mentioning those things, but they just keep coming up in my mind. My marriage is solid. It's great. It really is. So it's not my marriage. It's my faith in, in certain things in my life that I struggle with, not my marriage. This is really interesting, though. Notice what happens here. The Holy Spirit is so powerful on these men that it kind of goes out into the camp. The Holy Spirit, not a force, but the work of the Holy Spirit and the people that are listening on the outskirts of the 70, this, this group of people that now have the Holy Spirit in them. Notice two men, verse 26, had remained in the camp. The name of one was Ildad, and the other was Medad. And by the way, we're not in Arkansas here. This is just in... And the Spirit rested on these two, Eldad and Medad, and they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. So they're doing the same thing that, that Moses had done, that the elders had done, these two, Eldad and Medad. And Joshua gets all passionate here, the son of Nun. 
Moses' assistant, verse 28, one of his choice men, and he answered, said, Moses, Moses, you've got to stop them. They're, they're prophesying. They're doing what the other elders are doing in the name of the Lord. And Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people would prophesy like that. They'd be filled with the Spirit like that. Moses saw the importance of the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the lives of the people. And Moses, again, He's speaking to them. Are you zealous for my sake? Or the people, prophets of the Lord would put their spirit upon them. I, I pray that it would happen even more. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. So Aaron saw him as a threat. Moses says, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us. Remind you of a New Testament passage as well? Again, not only the leaders can be used by God, anybody can be used by God. You don't have to have an appointed name badge, Elder Co. I need a new badge. It says Elder Co. on it, so I, I have the power. No. What I need to do is be filled with the Spirit of God and be humble and, and bear fruit for his kingdom. Now, as Moses, again, and the elders, they... They, they return to camp, and the sky becomes dark. But it's not darkness of, of clouds. It's not darkness of, of uh, the sun going down. This is a different kind of darkness. I call it the low and slow quail. Now a wind, verse 31, went out from the Lord and brought a cloud of quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. So think of an injured bird on the ground, blah, 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 or, or flying really low. There's something there. It's fluttering. And there's so many of them that it's, it's, you know, a wind from the Lord. There's a cloud of birds. It's insane. There's so many of them. Notice this flock was about a day's journey on the side and that day's journey on the other side of the camp, all around the camp, about two cubits above the surface of the ground, just, you know, a few feet off the ground. And the people... He stayed up all day, all night, and all the next day and gathered the quail that were fluttering on the ground. And he who gathered the least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Again, God has brought them meat. This is a miracle. And anyone who can get up and grab it, it's theirs. It's theirs for the taking. Anybody can go out, the young, the old, doesn't matter. And the very least, it says, gathers these 10 Omars. And Omar was uh, considered uh, a camel load full. So whatever you could load on the back of a camel, 80 pounds, 100 pounds, I don't know, 150 pounds, that's an Omar. So the least of them gathered 10 Omars of these quail. It's a lot of meat. Ten camel loads of meat for the least there. Can you see how God is miraculously providing for every need they ever had? They're, they complain, they ask, and God just, they get a pile of a quail, all of them. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all who ask or think. When was the last time you went to the Lord with that kind of faithful request? Believing that God could meet your need exceedingly and abundantly 10 camel loads of meat. 
Do you believe that God can do that and meet your need maritally, financially, even for a job, but whatever it might be? It's quite an object lesson when you really look at it and, and see it. When life gets demanding, when life gets hard, when you feel overwhelmed, instead of complaining, instead of griping, remember who you are. You are a child of the king. You are a promised land person. You're promised land people. We are. God loves you. God can provide for you. You have to believe it. You have to walk by faith. I love this in closing here in verse 33 through 35. Because some of these people were grumbling instead of thanking God. They're so self-centered and, and they probably had 30 Omars. Who knows? They're, they're just selfish. They stuffed themselves to death. Truly, that's what it says, my point, but that's what it says, verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of the place, that's Moses, Kibroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. From Kirboth Hadavah, the people moved to Hezeroth and camped at Hezeroth. So they moved away from that place because God judged them. The, the words there, Kibroth or Kibroth Hadavah, it means the grave of cravings. The grave of cravings or the grave of lust. Because the people were so ungrateful, they were just greedy. And because they were greedy, God saw their heart and God judged them because of their greed. And they died. They gorged themselves on quail and they choked on it. (laughs) It's kind of an interesting plague against them or interesting judgment against them. Again, another good reason not to complain, murmur, and, and do all those things so you don't choke on it. I mean, think about that. God wants us to be the promised land people. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And it's our responsibility to trust in him and follow him to the promised land. Can you do it? Can you apply the scriptures to yourself tonight instead of just saying, oh, that was just those people. It was Moses. It was those two million Hebrews. Can you just for a moment take this and it's you. It's me, it's marriage, it's finance. We can either complain and grumble about it or we can trust the Lord and he can bring us through as promised land people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the study tonight and how it's really spoken to my heart. And I pray, Lord, for each and every person here whatever difficulty they're faced with, that as your child, as promised land people, that they would walk by faith and trust in you and take their hands off that situation and and give it completely to you. Because you promised, Lord, to work all things for good. You promised that as we trust in you alone, 
as we don't lean on our own understanding and we allow you to do your work that you'll complete it for your glory, for our good. So we thank you and we bless you. Father, bless these, your people. Strengthen them in any of these areas. Lord, may, may we walk away from this place tonight being humbled and grateful for all that you've given us, for, for much or for little. It's all come from your gracious hand, and we thank you. Make us people that are thankful and grateful and not complainers and grumblers. Lord, help us. And we'll give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.